0: Thank you for listening to the Faith-Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 19th Sunday After Trinity, October 10th, 2021, is preached by Pastor Steve Munfram. If you have any questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. So the text that I have uh, chosen to speak on this morning is not the one that uh, Pastor Goodham would have spoken on that kind of gave direction to the whole service and all the hymns and everything, but um, the text I'm going to speak on is in Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 20. So would you please stand with me and honor this as the true word of God. Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we simply ask today that these words of yours, as you have caused them to be recorded here in our gospel lesson today, that these words of yours, as they are uh, spoken among us, would at the same time come to be that the reality of these words would be created in our midst by the power of your spirit and the power of your word by the work of the triune God. And we ask today that we could have attentive hearts and ears to the message of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. For as long as I've been a pastor in you know, over 30 years, I've been coming across surveys of non-Christians and for some reason different individuals like to ask unbelievers spiritual questions and of course even, even us, we may find that to be very interesting, right? To sit down with a person you know is a Christian or is very unlikely to be a Christian and just start asking them kind of spiritual questions and see what kind of answers you get. And uh, professionals do it too and they, and they um, take these surveys and they write books and it's almost a, a little in cottage industry of its own, the preparation of these kind of books. And uh, one frequent uh, upshot of these questions, these surveys that are taken of just people in the world, is that, um, is that they will find that people really like or love maybe they say love they really like or love Jesus but they aren't very fond of the church and a lot of the surveys over the years have kind of come to that conclusion people really like the idea of Jesus or, the, or their idea of Jesus but not particularly fond of the church and I don't suppose that should particularly surprise us because Jesus is perfect according to the word and we don't know what their idea is of Jesus if it's anything near what the Bible says and of course if they have a made up idea of Jesus which isn't uncommon they're gonna make up a very likable Jesus probably and then you have the church which is just a collection of imperfect people that's what it is right imperfect people who profess the name of Jesus just like Peter does here in our text he professes Jesus Christ as his savior that's all the church is, we would certainly expect that the church would be less likable than Jesus. so I don't think the you don't really need a survey to find that out right? but as long as it's in the text right Jesus actually asks this is of all the texts of scripture where you could rightfully talk about surveys about Jesus, this would be the one because Jesus himself asked the question in the text, what do people say about me? So, uh, so it fits here. Since it's in the text I just thought I'd comment on it and, and what I think of those surveys by the way is if you, these are the things you find out. You find out that maybe it's helpful to hear what our neighbors think about the church kind of like looking in a mirror, isn't it? It's kind of like looking in a mirror. Okay? We don't probably see ourselves as we really are. We like to think we're prettier than we are, right? That's kind of human nature. And when you listen to the world, they probably see things about us that we don't see. And that's fine. That's beneficial to us to, to, to see those things but we also find out this from surveys of the world we find out that the world is lost that they really don't understand spiritual realities they don't understand what the relationship is between Jesus and the church they don't understand what God intends the church to be that that they're basically lost And, and so looking at those surveys might tell us a thing or two about what we are but I don't think they can really tell us anything about what we should be right what we should be the only way the church can know what it should be is from the Word of God that's the only way that we can know that and then the my third observation about about those surveys is you know what it it doesn't ultimately matter if the world doesn't like the church Because Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loves the church. So as we think today about the church as it's spoken of in this text, that's that's the most important lesson for us always to know. Jesus loves the church. And when it says in the Bible, Jesus loves the church, Scripture is talking about Faith Free Lutheran Church, and we'll, I'll explain in a minute how we get there. But that Jesus is saying, I love. When you read that Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for her, we should read that Jesus loves Faith Free Lutheran Church and gave himself up for us. So as we uh, look at this passage of scripture. It's a a passage about the church. It's probably about other things too, but today we're going to uh, notice what this scripture says about the church. And there's an interesting thing uh, that uh, we might not realize. Do you know in the Bible how many times Jesus uses the word church? How many times does Jesus talk about the church using that word? Talks about the church. You know how many times? you would think it would be a lot, wouldn't you? You think Jesus talks about the church a lot and in a sense he does, but he only uses the word church in the Bible two times, only two times. One of them is in this passage of scripture, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and then the next one is just uh, two chapters further on in uh, chapter 18 where he says um, if he's given instructions about Sin, about dealing with sin, and he says, if your, neighbor, if, if your neighbor has something against you, go and talk to your neighbor. If he listens to you, fine, you have won your neighbor. If he doesn't listen to you, tell it to the church in uh, chapter 18, uh, verse 17. Those are the only times that Jesus uses the word church. Now, he talks about the kingdom of God a lot, and a lot of that applies to the church, of course. But, uh, but these are two very important passages of Scripture where he uses this word. And the word church in our Bible if you don't mind uh, uh, learning a Bible word is the word ekklesia. That's the original language word, ekklesia. Some of you may have heard of it, it because it's an important word even sometimes when you're talking in English you might use that Greek term ekklesia. And in the, the Bible has two ways of talking about this, of using this word ekklesia. The Bible uses this word "ecclesia" to talk about every believer everywhere in the world at all times. Okay, here, I'll say it again. The Bible uses that word to talk about every believer everywhere in the world for all time. So that would go all the way back to Adam and Eve, first believers, through all the Old Testament, through all the New Testament, all the people we read about in our New Testaments, and then all the believers who have lived right up to this moment and all that will live in the future. Everywhere in the world, no matter what culture they belong to, what language they speak, what uh, tint their skin might be, all of it. And what, what, um, what external denomination they might belong to. That is the, the, the church in the universal sense. Then the other way this word is used in the Bible is for a congregation, like us. Okay. We are an ecclesia. And this is, this is very common. Paul writes a letter to the church in Rome. And he writes another letter to the church in Thessalonica. And, he write, and there's seven letters, like in the book of Revelation, the seven letters in chapters 2 and 3 to the churches that John was familiar with congregations. And I think very clearly that reference in chapter 18 where Jesus uses the word church. If he refuses to listen to them, if he refuses to listen to you when you go talk to your neighbor about his sin then you tell it to the church, that's got to be the congregation. Okay? He's not saying that you should take out an ad in Christianity Today or put it on the internet so that every believer in the whole of the world knows about it. He obviously he's not saying that. So that has to be a congregational use of the word church. And and, uh, because of that, I kind of think maybe this one here is we can't exclude the congregation from this chapter either. And this is the interesting thing. Okay, We might naturally think that those two things, all the Christians everywhere in the world for all time, that idea, and the idea of a local group of believers who meet together and are organized together, that those two ideas are so different, you ought to have a different word for them, right? Wouldn't that make sense? That because those ideas are so very, very different, there ought to be two ways of talking about them in the Bible. And there isn't there is not two ways of talking about them there is only this one word ecclesia and it is used for both and that is phenomenal that is probably the most important thing we can ever learn from our Bibles about the church well maybe that Jesus died for their sins but close second right that, that the Bible writers could have come up with a different word if they wanted to make a big deal of the distinction, but they didn't. They chose, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to speak about both of those things with the same word. And it's interesting, the word itself comes from ancient culture and it means a town meeting. You know when when the town has business to conduct, they need to uh, figure out what to do with these disorderly residents Who stay up all night having parties, they call a town meeting and they discuss what they're going to do about that. Or when they meet a new mayor, they call a town meeting and they choose a new leader. That's what ecclesia comes from, that word, from a town meeting. And you think about it, it's really a lot closer to a congregation than it is to a universal spiritual unorganized uh, just conceptual that it, you can't ever say you see that church I mean, we know it exists and we see parts of it but it's 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 so it's so it's so conceptual it's so abstract you can't you can't even see it but the word that is chosen to use for for the church is a very concrete one very real one and for that reason i think that every time we encounter that word in the bible some some reference to the congregation is present some reference to it it's not possible to just remove entirely the congregation from any use of that word much it's so close in meaning to our congregation our organized local congregation and that's, that's so beneficial to us as we, as we read this passage of scripture here. What does it say in this passage of scripture about the church? Jesus says about the church, and I like, like say, he's talking about Faith Free Lutheran Church. And by, that, by saying that, I'm, I don't mean to imply he's not talking about the other churches down the street because he's talking about them too. But he is absolutely talking about us. And he said that upon the rock of Peter's confession I will build my church I will build my congregation and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Wow! God has built this congregation not not that we are not appreciative of the people he used to do it because we are absolutely appreciative especially if I look out over here and I see some of our members whom God has been using so faithfully for so long to, to have this congregation here and we, pr- we are so thankful for that but but we also know that that it was God, it was God who caused this church to be here and, and if there's going to be any future for this congregation, it's going to be in God and that's fine, that's place it ought to be. Praise God for that. But I think of how important it is to remember that Jesus says, I will build my church. Because there's been a lot of attempts over the years to rethink what a congregation can be or should be. I remember it wasn't that long ago, early years when I was a pastor, and uh, there was kind of this movement among Christians in America, some Christians in America, thinking, you know, the church should be more like a ball game than like what it is. It should be more like a ball game, and we should have huge gatherings and stadiums, and we should have these the same kind of Of enthusiasm and excitement about going to a ball game, and instead of cheering for a team, we should be cheering for Jesus. And and, you know, I don't think we need to play that game. The church should be more like a ball game. And that's not the only way that this has gone. I think I think we are still living with the idea in the church that the church should be more like a music concert. You know, with performers on stage and really good performers on stage and the songs are just, they melt your heart kind of songs, you know. And people are happy and maybe they got light, uh, lighting effects and all that stuff. And we're still dealing some with that that the church should be more like a music concert. And I'm thinking kind of like a pop music concert, but maybe there are people who think it should be more like a classical concert hall type of a concert I don't know about that I haven't necessarily encountered that. I do know that there are people who think the church should be more like a country club where we where we really do a good job of telling each other how wonderful we are and how carefully we are to keep out anybody who would you know kind of take us in the wrong direction you know we want to have a good high standard and not just let any old buddy in. We're more like a country club. And there's all there's there's a lot of pressure, I think, on the church. That it should be more like a more like a therapy session. Temptations Anonymous. Okay. That, that that's what the church should be. It should be a place where we can where we can be fortified against the the dysfunctions of our souls. And I'm not saying that that that's not a valid thing, but to organize a whole church around the idea of being a therapy session is not what scripture presents to us. And then there are those who think that the church should be more like, more like a more like an army. Rigid discipline. We got too many people doing their own thing in the church. We need to organize. We need to have, have people who know what they're supposed to do and, uh, and follow orders when they're given orders and yes sir! Boy, what, what the church could be if it was more like an army. And all, you know, those are all interesting. There's other things we could talk about too. But notice what the Bible, this passage says the church is. This is what God intends to build when he says, I will build my church. He will build a gospel-confessing and a gospel-applying structure. And I use the structure because he's talking about building. A a structure, but it's not made out of wood. It's made out of people. But it is a gospel-confessing and a gospel-applying body of people. That's the church that Jesus Christ will build. A church that confesses, as did Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We could call that the very first line of the gospel, right? The very first line, the first thing in the gospel is that the Son of God comes down to this earth to offer himself as a sacrifice for sins. It's the very beginning of the gospel, not that it isn't in the old testament too but that's the first thing you are the Christ the son of the living god and the church is a is just a bunch of confessors of that people who confess that that's true and that's the church that Jesus intends to build and then he also intends to build a gospel applying church and we see that in that next verse i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. That's the application of the gospel. It's saying Jesus is our salvation. Do you believe that? No, I don't believe that. Then you are still in your sins. Jesus died for your sins. Do you believe that? Yes, I believe that. You are free from your sins. Application of the gospel. And we we carry on that gospel-applying ministry here in our congregation continually. Through the preaching of the word and through the right administration of the sacraments, we continually set sinners free of their sin. That's the church that Jesus intends to build. And, and I think about that um, because it answers a couple of questions. You know, the, the we are a gospel confessing and a gospel applying body or building or structure or whatever term we might use there. That gives, us, that gives us both our identity that our identity is in Jesus Christ and each one as we confess Jesus Christ as our savior that becomes who I am I am the church is that group of of Jesus Christ confessors like Peter is but it doesn't just give us an identity it also gives us a ministry that our ministry is not feeding the hungry not that there's anything wrong with that but that's fine Our ministry is not trying to make our neighborhood a better place to live. Our ministry is not trying to keep our country going in a better direction or whatever, however we might view that. And those those can be all fine things. I'm not saying that they're not okay. But our ministry is this to forgive sin, to proclaim the forgiveness of sin. And the way God intends for for that proclamation to spread throughout the world is through the church that he builds, through the congregation that he builds. And whatever may happen in the future with Faith-Free Lutheran Church, God has, has caused us to be and has made us and built us be a gospel-confessing and a gospel-applying body. And we praise him that even even in these moments here this morning, in your life, the gospel has been applied. The forgiveness of sins proclaimed to you for your faith in it and confidence in it. And as you have been, as you have been served by that gospel today, That is the gospel and the ministry that our church pursues. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the uh, great privilege there is for us to open your word and hear it. and Thank you, God, for the way that your word challenges some of the ways that we tend to think about the church and continually sets before us your will. And we thank you, O God, that you have made Faith-Free Lutheran Church to be your church. And we ask only that you continue to do through us what you have always done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.